How do you respond when God calls you to go? The story of Jonah is about so much more than a big fish. In Jonah's story, we see our own story, our fear, our reluctance, our defiance. But more than that, we see the power and purposes of God. Despite our wavering faith, God's love remains constant. Let's dive into Jonah's story and discover the depths of God's love. We're in Jonah chapter 3 today. If you have a Bible, open it up to Jonah chapter 3. Do you ever feel like you have to have the exact words, the right words, the perfect words when you're sharing your faith with someone? Do you ever get nervous and feel that pressure? You have a limited opportunity to say something, but you don't exactly know what to say. You want to say the right thing. You want to be true to Scripture. You don't want to mislead someone, but you also want to say something that is motivating or inspiring. You want to say the right thing, and you just feel that pressure. One of my responsibilities here is to help come up with what we put on our marquee signs on 9th Street and Bryant Street, Bryant Avenue. And I have the easy job. We have a couple of wonderful guys, Bill Collins and Brent Toby, who have the hard job. They volunteer to go out there and actually put the letters on the signs when it's hot and when it's raining and all kinds of weather, and they're so faithful to do that. But our philosophy has been that, that, that those signs are mainly for our community. Now, we sometimes communicate with our church through those signs, but mainly we want to reach passers-by with just a word of hope, a word of encouragement, a little scripture, or maybe news about an event that, that maybe the community will come to, like the egg hunt, or I've got a helper, I need help. He's gone. <laughs> That's okay. The walk of shame. We've all been there. Hey, let him go. People will be more interested today than they ever are. Some, some of those events that we have for the community, like the egg hunt and trick-or-treat and so much of what our children's ministry does, but then special classes, and we just want people in the community to know that they can come here, that, that there may be something for them here, that they could be drawn to Jesus. The challenge is that space out there is pretty limited. You only have so many words, so many letters. So it becomes a challenge to come up with what to say with all those guidelines for our community. And it usually goes really well, but one time we had a little uh, mishap. One of the letters dislodged and fell when we were trying to promote Mom's Bible study, and this is how it turned out. Mom's Bible st die. It reminds me of uh, maybe a little bit of a change on that old joke what's missing from mom's bible study you are right you've heard that the church without the you what's missing from church you are so we just went with that and it worked out well but let me ask you what if you only had eight words what if you only had eight words to motivate someone to inspire someone to draw them toward god what would you say eight words i was thinking about this trying to come up with eight words God created, humans sinned, God loved, Jesus saved. Eight words. Or maybe your sins separate you from God, so repent. I think that's eight. It sounds like a lot more than eight. I would encourage you to think about this. Maybe at home, this is a little exercise, a little activity you could do, or maybe in a Bible study or with, with people as you're talking about what it looks like to share our faith. Come up with eight words that would be your message. 
You see, when you have to narrow it down like that, what's important really rises to the top. You have to make some decisions about what is most important. What do I want to say? What should I say to someone? Well, in our story, when Jonah finally submits to God and to God's call on his life, he preaches a message of eight words. That's right. And the response was staggering. Now, did Jonah have just the perfect, just the right eight words? Or was there something else going on? You see, we feel that pressure sometimes, as though salvation of other souls depends on us. And yet, amazingly, God chooses us to be his messengers, to take the message of the gospel, the good news, into the world. He allows us, he calls us, he invites us into that important work. Throughout history, throughout scripture, God has used the flawed, the frail people to be his messengers, just like you, just like me. And Jonah is one of those people. Most of us probably wouldn't choose Jonah to be a missionary, especially to the pagan city of Nineveh. After all, we know from the text, he didn't want to go. Why didn't he want to go? We don't know exactly. Maybe he had this sense of spiritual superiority. Maybe he didn't think it was fair that he had to go outside of Israel to the pagan world. Maybe he was worried. Maybe he was afraid for his own life or his safety. We don't know exactly why he didn't want to go, but he didn't. And he tried not to. He ran the opposite direction. But through a series of very remarkable and divine events, God intervened. God intercepted him. And as we talked about last week, he sent this big fish, swallow up Jonah, ultimately spit him up on dry ground after Jonah comes to his senses, after he calls on God. And that's where we pick up our story today. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Sound familiar? It should have sounded familiar to Jonah. It pretty much echoes God's initial commissioning of the prophet. In fact, look back at chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and you see the similarities in the wording. Obviously, the author, probably Jonah or someone Jonah is informing, wants us to see the similarities there. Aren't you thankful that God is a God of second chances? Are you thankful that God gives us a second chance? That when we run away in the opposite direction, God pursues us? That when we, like the prideful prodigal, go off and do our own thing, that God, our Heavenly Father, scans the horizon, horizon longing for our return, ready to celebrate our return, ready to party and embrace us with open arms. Aren't you thankful God is a God of second chances? God gives Jonah a second chance. And this time, Jonah's response is a bit different, isn't it? Back in chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Look at the contrast with the first time God called Jonah. Back in chapter 1, verse 3, Jonah ran away from the, word, from the word of the Lord or from the Lord. You see the difference there. And God tells Jonah, go and proclaim my message. And finally, Jonah obeys. Verse, 
or the end of verse 3. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. There's your eight words. Jonah's message, his sermon, only eight words, right? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I'm so curious as to how Jonah delivered that message, aren't you? I want to know what his attitude was, what his presentation style was. Now, let's say right off the bat, probably this wasn't all that Jonah said. He didn't just say eight words. This was probably the thesis, the main point. This was the bottom line of his sermon. I think this microphone is on. Do you mind turning it maybe off? So probably Jonah's message was longer than just these eight words, but we know that he wasn't excited about this assignment. We know that he didn't want to go. He tried to go the opposite direction. So when he finally went, did he deliver this message with a sense of apathy? 40 more days. Nineveh's going to be destroyed. It's going to be overthrown. Do something, don't do something. Repent, don't repent. I mean, is that, was that his attitude? Can you imagine hearing a sermon like that? Not very compelling, right? Not, not very motivating. Was he just trying to check the box? God, I told him. I gave him the information. You gave me the message. I conveyed the message. It's done. Or maybe after all that he'd been through, maybe he was fired up. He was angry. Fire and brimstone. 40 more days. And you're going to... You're going to feel God's wrath, turn or burn. That's what we need. We need some fire and brimstone preaching around here, right? Maybe that's what he did. I don't know. We don't know. But we know, however it came across, it was effective. Because when Jonah finished his sermon, and he offered the invitation, as any good sermon always finishes with, and everybody stood to sing, People flooded to the front. Check out the response in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This king goes on to proclaim that everybody in the land, not just the people, but the animals, have to wear sackcloth, have to fast from eating as a sign of remorse, as a sign of regret, and that all violent behavior should stop. They were known for their cruelty. They were known for their violence, that all violent behavior should stop and that they should call on God to show mercy. And that's what they did. And what did God do? God did what God does. Verse 10. When God saw that they did what they did and how they turned from their evil waves, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. What a most unexpected turn. What an unexpected twist in this story. A persistent God, a reluctant messenger, a powerful message, and a repentant city. You see, that speaks to the mercy of God. This whole chapter speaks to the mercy of God. This whole story speaks to the mercy of God. The recommissioning of this prophet Jonah, that God gave him another chance, and the repentance of this evil city, that God relented 
from judgment on them speaks to the incredible mercy of God. That's the God we serve, a God of mercy, a God of love. And certainly we see that in this story. And what is amazing is we don't just see it in the biblical text. When you go and look at history, there's some remarkable things happening in this time in Assyria's history. If you really dig into the Assyrian history, you'll notice that they are known for their violence. They would launch campaigns to take over people groups and they would torture them. They were so violent. They would, I can't even say what they would do. They would, uh, there's children in here. It was, it's so graphic what they would do to people to torture them. And every king of Assyria felt like he needed to one-up the previous king. And they would, of course, write about all this in their chronicles and in, in their histories. And then you get to this time of Jonah, the latter half of the 8th century B.C. And you know what happens? Things go quiet for Assyria. That's right. In fact, it's known in secular history as the period of stagnation. They discontinued launching these campaigns to take over other groups of people. There was a, a, a relative sense of peace and quiet. There were probably at least two, maybe three kings during this time of Jonah. And they are known in history as, as underachievers, not doing what the kings had done before them because there's just not much written about them. Isn't that remarkable? period of stagnation, a period of peace, a period of, of relative calm among this evil pagan city and nation when they just so happen to hear a word from the Lord and respond to it. Meanwhile, in the northern kingdom of Israel, the, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom under Jeroboam, things are going well. Israel is experiencing this time of peace and prosperity. And it makes me wonder, did God send Jonah to Nineveh to show mercy to them only? Or was it also he sent him so that he could show mercy to Israel as well? To hold Assyria at bay, at least for a season. Again, it speaks to the mercy of God. But what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What do we make of all of this? Especially on this Commission Sunday as we reflect on what it means to be representatives of the kingdom of God, to take the message of good news, that's gospel, good news to the world. What does it mean? I think this story, this chapter, reveals some things about the messenger, the message, and the response. Very quickly, first of all, the messenger. Your failings, your flaws, they do not disqualify you as a messenger of God. I think it's important for us to state that. Jonah's story tells us that we too can represent his kingdom. We too can share good news. We too can spread the gospel. We too can have an impact on the world as God sends us there. In fact, in some ways, the fact that you are real, a flawed human, makes you relatable and draws more focus to God because it's focus drawn away from you. 
It's not that, oh, you're so eloquent, or you know all the answers to all the questions I have about the Bible, or man, you're so talented or skilled in this area. No, the message simply draws people to God because he is the one that we're trying to exalt. It is about his mercy. Here's how Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then he goes on in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's all about him, not about how skilled or knowledgeable or talented or good we are. As ambassadors of Christ, our job is not to convince people with our perfect lives or our perfect words. And by the way, if you think you're not skilled enough, you don't know enough, you have too much baggage to be used by God to convey a powerful message to the world around you, then you are listening to Satan and not God. Jonah was a mess, and God used him to call in a nation to repentance. Second, the message. God's word has transformative power. There is incredible transformative power in the word of God. Your words don't have to be eloquent. They don't have to be perfect. But if you are speaking on behalf of God, they need to be true. What made Jonah's message special? It came directly from God. You remember God said, go preach the message I will give you. It was truth. It came from God. It's truth that convicts. It's truth that assures. It's truth that transforms. It's truth that comforts. It's truth that endures under scrutiny over time. Truth. And it's not my truth or your truth. Those are phrases that culture comes up with to make us feel better about ourselves. It's the truth, capital T truth, God's truth that is breathed by God. 2 Timothy 3.16. And then finally, the response. Only God can change people's hearts and lives. It's not your job to save souls. Only God can do that. Your job is to be an instrument in the hands of God, a mouthpiece for the message of God, to speak up and live out the good news of Jesus. Again, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. God brings transformation. God brings change. God saves us. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So our role is not to save people's souls. Our role is to do what Jonah did, say yes to God and go and proclaim. That's our commission. That's our calling. That's how we are to live our lives, to integrate that calling in every aspect of our lives, family, vocation, recreation, in every aspect of our lives. But here's the problem, at least with me so often. 
The problem with so many of us is we spend so much time in the endless cycle of Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2. We never get to chapter 3. Remember what happened in chapter 1? God calls Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. And what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite direction. How many times do we know where God is calling us? He opens a door. He provides an opportunity. We read his truth in his word. We know what he wants. He know, we know his calling on our life. And what do we do? We go the opposite direction. We have excuses. We're busy. We don't want to. We come up with excuses. And what happens? Things don't go well for us. We see our fault. And what do we do? We're humbled. We cry out to God, I'm sorry, God. Forgive me, God. Have mercy on me, God. I want to make things better. God restores us, puts us on dry ground. And what do we do? We hear the call of God, and pretty soon we go in the opposite direction. And here we go. We spend so much time in chapters 1 and chapter 2. When do we ever get to chapter 3? When do we ever say yes to God? When do we ever fully surrender our lives to him? We have opportunities every day to say yes to God. In our homes, when we leave our homes and go do the things that we go do, we have opportunities, open doors to be ambassadors of Christ, sharing a word of hope, an act of kindness, a message of good news, sharing the truth in love, empowered by his spirit, guided by his word, fueled by his power. And as a congregation, that is extremely important to us. Outreach, being missional, making disciples. And this is not just a theme for us, it's not just a slogan, it's not even just a ministry. It is to infiltrate everything that we do. It is to shape everything that we are and everything that we do. We have so many ministries here that are planned with that goal in mind. Today we focus on missions, but we have so many of our other ministries, our children's ministry, youth and campus, our young adults, our seniors ministry, in search of the Lord's way, Friends Speak, The Kids Play, Sunshine School, our local Spanish-speaking and Hispanic ministry. So many of these ministries are, are built around the purpose of letting the light of Christ shine in this community and in this world, of drawing people to Christ and Christ-likeness. It's who we are. It's who we want to be. It's what we do. But of course, today is Commission Sunday, and so we focus on missions and what God is doing through missions here. Do you realize we have over 20 missionaries out on the front lines, out there in the world, living in chapter 3, saying yes to God, going and proclaiming, doing the work of God's kingdom, making sacrifices for the cause of Christ, influencing others, serving others in his name. They need us. And we want to be a part of what God is doing through them. And we, of course, as we've already seen, have people from this congregation going to the mission field, even this week, right now, to do this very thing, to say yes to God when he says go and proclaim. 
mission trips to Nicaragua, to Cuba, and later this summer to Poncha Springs, Colorado. As we think about what it means to go and proclaim, think about not just our missionaries, not just those we send on mission trips, but what about you? Where do you fit into God's commission, to God's calling? How can you live in chapter 3? Watch this video. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is our ultimate authority. Above our own feelings, dreams, desires, affiliations, and loyalties. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. God's kingdom is a kingdom of inclusion. All nations will gather in the throne room of heaven to proclaim the praises of God on the day of the Lord. We welcome all tribes and tongues into God's kingdom baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a death to self and a resurrection to new life. The world is lost in sin, and Jesus died to wash away those sins and bring salvation, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We go as disciples and learners, following in the footsteps of Jesus, but we also go as teachers, sharing the good news of Jesus and proclaiming the powerful Word of God that brings life and light into this world. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God will never leave us nor forsake us. His Spirit is with us as we answer His call to be disciples who go into this world and make disciples. Go and proclaim. One of the most important things we do, one of the most practical, one of the most spiritual things we do on Commission Sunday is actually to give. We often speak about giving in very practical terms. We need to give to continue the work, to pay the bills, and all of that is true, but giving is an act of worship. It is a sacrifice. It speaks to an individual's heart. And on this day, we give, and every penny we give goes directly toward supporting missionaries, sending mission trips, and funding mission projects like care packages and camps around the world. Maybe you've already given for Commission Sunday. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, or if God is really leading you to give more, I hope that you'll do that right now. There's the ways to give. You can take out your phone and take care of it right now. Please don't let today go by without being a part of what God is doing. It's such an opportunity we have. There's many opportunities, many open doors in our own lives, and we don't pass on the responsibility we have to be ambassadors of Christ by just writing a check or giving online, but certainly that is a way that God is bringing about results. It's a way that we can be a part of what God is doing to go and proclaim. So we want to pause and we want to pray for our offering today and this week. And we want to pray for our mission efforts here, that God would continue to use them to make a difference in this world. So let's pause together and pray. Father God, you are holy. You are perfect. God, as we are reminded in the text, we're reminded in our own lives, you are merciful. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love. We need it so much. And God, we want not just to be recipients of your mercy, of your grace, of your salvation. We want to be messengers of the good news. Father, help us to do that. Help us to say yes. 
Help us to get out of chapters one and chapters, chapter one and chapter two and, and to embrace your calling on our lives to go, to preach with passion, knowing that it's not our words, it's not our knowledge, it's not anything about us. The power comes from you and from your word, from your spirit. Father, we want to be ambassadors of your powerful kingdom in this world. Father, as we have given and continue to give today, we pray that you would use this this offering as an instrument, as a tool to bring about good things in this world, to bring peace where there is conflict in the name of Jesus, to bring hope where there is despair in the name of Jesus, to bring light where there is darkness in the name of Jesus, to bring salvation to a lost world. In the name of Jesus. Father, bless those who have given and will give. Bless our missionaries who are on the front lines, in the trenches, Father, who are opening up your word, who are teaching and preaching and serving and ministering to so many people. Father, give them encouragement, support, give them peace, give them strength. Bless them, Father. Let your spirit guide them as they do the work, the important work of sharing your love your truth with the world. Father, we give you thanks and we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.